0: Welcome to Movies We Like, part of the True Story FM Entertainment Podcast Network. I'm Andy Nelson,
1: and then over there is Pete Wright. Hello, Andy Nelson.
0: On today's episode, we have invited special effects supervisor Chris Reynolds to talk about Giuseppe Tornatore's Cinema Paradiso, a movie he likes.
1: Chris, welcome to the show.
2: Hello, everybody. Hello. Nice to see you.
1: What an extraordinarily great counter-programming pick you have brought us, given your role in cinema, Chris.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I've always sort of, funny enough, been drawn to the, um, the more love story type films as my own favorite films, and not, as you would imagine, the, uh, the sort of big action epics with lots of special effects in.
0: Isn't that funny? Maybe, <laughs>
2: uh, maybe I've, I've just headed down the wrong... Career path. Maybe I should have been a cinematographer or something like that. (laughs) We are where we are.
1: Exactly. We are where we are.
2: I I I've spent a living blowing things up, making a big mess, basically, (laughs) and lots of rain, and not making the love stories, the the films that I prefer.
0: Well, some could argue love stories are plenty messy on their own, right? There's there's a lot of mess that people have to go through with those. (laughs) Yes. Well, before we start digging into Cinema Paradiso and talk about that film, let's talk a little bit about you and your career. You know, special effects is, uh, I think, such a fun uh, and easy way for a people to kind of, uh, especially like, I don't know, me, young, young men to kind of fall in love with film because of kind of all the things that they're seeing on screen. You know, what was it when you were young, like what was it that kind of captured your eye about uh, special effects? Like, Do you remember like when you first started noticing it as something that people were doing?
2: I left school when I was 16 and I started working in engineering and I don't really remember too much being sort of too involved in thinking I would end in a a sort of film working in the the, the business I'm working in now I had an uncle who worked on Thunderbirds and he used to come back with stories about that so that's sort of that was part of sort of my early life, but really I was involved in engineering, but I remember what happened when I went to university later in life. I went to university when I was about 20 and a friend of mine said to me late one night, Oh, should we go and see a film down at the local cinema? And, uh, I said, yeah, I don't mind, but this is like midnight. And, and apparently it turned out this film was four hours long and it was Dr. Zhivago. And I remember coming out of this film thinking, Oh my God. If I can tell, like, be a part of telling a story like that, and in in contributing to people's enjoyment, that is sort of something I would love to do. So even though I was uh, doing architecture at university, it just the seed had been sown in my mind for for an alternative career, uh, even at that stage. Uh, And so when I finished my course, uh, I then managed to get a job uh, working in commercials through a friend of mine. Doing special effects in commercials because the one thing I was always good at was making things and innovative engineering, which is what special effects is. Sure, really. Yeah. So I so I got a a, worked in commercials for about a year, and then I was lucky enough to get a job at the BBC, and I was at the BBC for twenty years. Whereas where I it was a terrific learning ground for everything. I mean, they just literally threw you in at the deep end. And ever sculpted anything before? No. Right. Okay. sculpt up a four-foot set of lips then using all this clay. <laughs> so it was uh, it was that type of thing. And yeah. Uh, so there was a it was you literally were thrown in the deep end, which is great because it's a terrific way of learning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, do you remember some of the specific? I mean, obviously you just talked about a big set of lips, but but other sorts of uh, interesting requests that you had as uh, as an early uh special effects
2: well at the bbc there was just like mad things coming through on on a daily basis from exploding haggises to uh i worked on the black adders which are still quite well known today uh uh, and I made the uh, the green, the famous green that he's sort of supposed to have invented, and uh, like he's, he's supposed to try to make gold, but he doesn't. He makes a big green splat instead. And <laughs> so, in, in the story terms of like Adder and things, it's quite well known. So I, I had a hand in making that, and uh, and then doors that Roan Atkinson was thrown through as Adder. I worked on a lower low with uh, uh, with all sorts of funny. A uh, bells that dropped over people's heads, giant bells that were dropped over people's heads, and then the classic sort of like machine gun hits and anything like that. So yeah, it was a great uh, uh, place to sort of because you just literally didn't know what you were doing next. On on a Monday and Tuesday, you'd be working on all creatures great and small up in up in Yorkshire with horses uh, crashing through gates, uh, and then you'd be off to television centre to do to top of the pops on the sort of Wednesday Thursday, and then. Then you'd be back on sort of like something else on the like a Lenny Henry show, which is a comedy program on a Friday. So,
0: oh my
1: gosh! Yeah,
2: there's a lot of it's a very varied twenty years.
1: What a variety! Yeah, that's incredible, and and that it it ends at some point with a punctuation of a nugget of purest green. Like that is just a fantastic
2: story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was made out of body filler, car body filler. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> awesome. yeah. I wish
1: I kept it. It would probably be
0: worth a lot of money now. Yeah, for sure. No kidding. No kidding. Now, now, obviously, one of the the key things in the world of effects. I mean, not all effects, but but one of the key things that people are always uh, so careful with is is safety. You know, and doing it in a safe way. Uh, obviously, you know, there's you can blow things up and just blow it up, but then the the whole idea of going into effects in a way where people can be interacting with it in a safe way like uh, i mean that's such a critical part of, uh, of this whole process i yeah. mean is that is that kind of a, a whole other sort of learning curve and figuring out okay we can blow this up but what what elements do we need to do to incorporate into that to make sure that it's safe
2: well, everything needs to be planned really i mean we've uh, just been working on a disney uh, job a lot of the things that we do nowadays are the HETV high-end tv work and this is, uh, uh, tells the story of the Price sisters. Uh, it's set in the 1970s in the IRA period, the rise of the IRA. So it's the Troubles in Northern Ireland. And uh, we've had various shoot-ups on that. And one particular shoot-up was in a paint factory. So it all needs to be planned out how you do it, really. So you you figure that the artist is standing here, and therefore these tins of paint need to be done on air, uh, because it's an air system where you're just literally blowing using compressed air, paint into the air, you can get artists relatively close to that. But anything where you've got sparks or bits of more heavyweight debris need to be pushed further away from artists or stunts. So, I mean, stunts, you can get closer to some of that stuff. But artists, you have to be so careful about, uh, about what's around them. And it, it offers its challenges, but of course, no shoot-up scene is ever the same. There's uh, one maybe in a warehouse, and one maybe in a paint factory, and one maybe on the street. So,
0: plus what they're wearing, obviously, that factors into it. Yeah. And, the-
2: and that is the brilliant thing about our whole business, really. That uh, I mean, I've been doing this forty years now, and uh, and virtually every single day is different. I mean, that's what's lovely. You, you've got unique challenges, all the same, all, all the all the time. I mean, a rain, rain sequence in the centre of London is different from a rain sequence up in the Highlands of Scotland.
1: At, and yet, forty over forty years, like, what is the effect that you think about over your career in those early days that you think I was ridiculous for having been involved in a stunt like that way back then? Like, we would never do that. We were stupid, and we got lucky.
2: In terms of danger, wise, sometimes there's been a few things I remember. I did a First World War battlefield thing, and because you obviously you're learning the whole time, yeah. And it was involved of there was a about forty or fifty people walking across a field with big explosions going off all over the place. Um, I mean, we'd labelled where all the explosions were, uh, and we told everybody to avoid where they all were. I remember watching it as we were doing it and just seeing one of the artists jump right over the top, or just one of the background artists jump right over the top of one of the explosions and thinking, you just can't rely on people's own uh, sense to not do something as stupid as that. And yeah, we did get lucky that that the explosion didn't go off and we did have an element where we could see all the explosions, but there were sometimes it wasn't like 100% that you could see. Because when you're looking at along a field, it's difficult to get perspective of where people are. You sort of need to be up high. And even though we're on a scaffold tower, it wasn't quite high enough to to see with 100% safety where everybody was. But it's, it's things like that that you learn, really. I mean, and you learn that actually explosions on water, you can get virtually no perspective on explosions on water. So you think the explosion is here, but actually it's probably a lot further away or it's a lot closer to you because there's just no reference to it. But it's a learning curve, all the time it's a learning curve. But you have to balance the learning learning with uh, what's safe. And if it gets to a point where you're not quite sure about it, it's better to not do it at all. And that sometimes does happen. I mean, I still find now that I say, no, we're not doing this, we're not being rushed into this, or we're not doing it like this. We, we're gonna we're, we'll do it, but we need to take our time and do it properly, rather than try and rush it at the end of the day, which all too often happens with special effects sequences.
0: And that's actually an interesting uh, point, shifting into kind of like the like the way that effects are handled now i'm not sure if the state of unions as far as like over here in the u.s versus over there in the in the uk as far as like the world of effects if if they have unions over there or not but i know over here that's kind of a big conversation in the realm of uh, of all the especially this year with the various conversations about unions and the idea that the effects the people working on effects don't have a union and like they're overworked and it's, it's so much that they're being asked to do. I mean, how much does that play into it? And, and do you feel like things need to be changing?
2: Well, the unions in the UK are not as strong as they are in the US. Having said that, there are agreements between producers and crew, really about amount of hours that are worked and those sort of things. Uh, safety is set in place in terms of like workshop crew that do one hour less a day than shoot crew because it's deemed that their work is more Dangerous, and uh, they're like they're uh, they, they're in, they're working all the time. Whereas on a shoot, quite often there's periods where you're standing around waiting for somebody to set something up. Ultimately, it comes down to the heads of the department, like myself, to say, "Listen, we've been working too much. This is dangerous. Now, I need to either get more crew in to cover for this, or I need to, or we need to stop and have a break for a bit because we can't keep doing this." I mean, it, there's a balance to it all because. Sometimes, when you're doing smoke and just general smoke and bits and pieces like that, it's not quite so bad. But even on a rain sequence, there's an element of if you get it wrong, something can fall over and hit somebody. So, and there's a danger element to that as well. And that's not even including the explosive pyrotechnic side of it, which obviously needs to be strictly monitored and, and given time and rehearsal time, particularly
0: earlier on in your career obviously you were uh, starting as a beginner you kind of worked more as a tech uh, a technician and then kind of a, a senior technician and now you've kind of worked up into the the title of special effects supervisor in that kind of shift of kind of coming to a place where you're now kind of overseeing all of these different people involved and and oftentimes there's the there the teams on the on set working there are also all of these other Special effects companies that kind of are hired for you're going to do this particular thing, you're going to do that particular thing. Some people are doing stuff that uh, there's an element on set, but a lot of it ends up getting done in post Uh, as the supervisor, like juggling all of those different things. I mean, at what point do you start having these conversations In the process of a project, and kind of how do you find that you're like managing all of that to make sure that for the director and the filmmakers that the vision that they have is able to be told in the best way?
2: I mean, sometimes with the special effects side of it, some of it is very simple, some jobs are very simple, other jobs need a lot of talking about really because there's such a crossover now between who's doing what, where, and when. So, I mean, what we tend to do is we tend to have a meeting which is a page turn, and we just literally go through an effect sequence and we page turn on the effect sequence and go, okay, right, so the the chocolate spewing out of this person's ear, how are we going to do this? Is this, like, real or is this going to be done – uh, uh, as a, a vision effects or, or how are we going to do it? And it's basically a matter of talking about it. And sometimes a director will go, well, I'd like to do something for real. Can we do something for real? And how are you going to do that, Chris? And then I have to come up with a way how we're going to get chocolate to spew out of somebody's ear.
0: I like that's where you go to, chocolate out of the ear. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and some, some jobs are, uh, There's a lot of, some jobs there'll be literally the chocolate spew out of somebody's ear, then something else happens and something else happens. And you have to go through, a sequence and just figure out exactly what's happening and who's providing what. And there's a big crossover between visual effects, art department, director, first assistant, and ourselves to figure out and stunts quite often as well in the big action sequences to figure out how what they what everybody needs from each other. And that's the exciting thing in many ways. It's a I always say to people this business is a bit like working in the army. Really, that. You're all, lots of departments all coming together for a common cause. In many ways, you're not working in an environment that's particularly friendly to where you are, because you may be working in North Wales, which is pretty remote and there's not that much there. Or you could be working in Morocco, where there's in the far extremes of Morocco, where there's nothing at all. So you have to be quite resourceful sometimes, uh, and that is that's exciting. It's 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 got a really it's interesting by itself.
1: Do you find I, I mean, I am I, looking at your website, looking at the stuff that you've you've done. It, it feels like you have such a wide variety of uh, of effects work that you've done. Do you have something that makes you just really light up when you get a project that comes across your desk? You think, God, this is it's it's mechanical effects or it's uh, pyrotechnics or it's atmospherics. Like what what really lights you up when you get a new project? You think I'm, I'm working on a particular set of effects that that gets me out of bed in the morning.
2: I think I, I like all of it, uh, and I, I like the variety of it. Like, is Sometimes I won't have done a shoot-up sequence for two years, and then I'll end up with three or four, one after another. Uh, and then I'll end up doing a few big rain jobs and a big smoke job, and, the, and sometimes we get snow. Uh, I, that's another thing we do in the UK as well. I mean, so I, I think there's it, 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 no one particular thing. It's the variety of the whole area of what I work in is what I really like to do. Uh, I think in all honesty, probably some of the most interesting jobs i 've done have been jobs involving like battlefield sequences i I worked on a a job called uh, Centurion, where there was a lot of fighting in that film and uh, and there was bigger crossovers with visual effects figuring out who 's doing what and what 's happening here and uh, and all those particular things. So, And that was involved exactly what I was just telling you, a, a page turn. I think that that particular meeting was called Killings and Stabbings Meeting. <laughs> and we just went through about who was being killed and who was being stabbed and what they were being stabbed with or having their head chopped off with. And did we need a rubber axe? Did we need an axe with a cutout of it? And it's going through all those sorts of things, really. And thats uh, it's quite amusing, really, to <laughs> sit down like seven or eight hours and go through a whole script to us something like centurion and there's a lot of special effects in
0: that yeah and and i mean you're right those department meetings are always interesting because of the amount of overlap in all of the different departments like obviously some of the effects that you want to do affects okay well for the costume department that means we need to have how many extras of this particular outfit and like you know just all of those different things that people have to discuss, not in not just in terms of budget, but also in schedule, because like, you know, you're gonna have to change the actor after every take and stuff like that. It's
2: Yeah, well, that's an important thing as well. Yeah. 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 I mean, how long is it going to take to change the actor? How long will it take to put the costume on the actor that has the squint in his chest when he's being shot with a shotgun? here. So I mean, I had that conversation about a week ago about a job that's starting in February. So Chris,
1: how, how often do you look at your own IMDB page?
2: Oh, I can't remember the last time I looked
1: at it. <laughs> That's good. That's what I wanted to hear. That's what I wanted to hear. One, oh, <laughs> one, of, the things, one of the things that we find absolutely wonderfully mysterious about IMDb is, you know, you, you have the page, you have your little profile. And then below that, the algorithm of IMDb has determined what you're, you should be known for as a professional.
2: That's crazy. I know.
1: And I don't think we've ever done this. We play a game called the IMDb game around these parts where we will ask as a form of trivia. Can you guess the top four that this performer or professional should be known for? We've never <laughs> done it with someone on this show. And I want to know if you can guess what the algorithm believes you should be known for. Chris Reynolds, you get four.
2: Oh, dear. Uh, uh, um, is Sherlock Holmes is up there somewhere?
1: It is not.
2: Oh, dear. Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies? No.
1: <laughs> it should be. Is not.
2: <laughs> uh, the World's End. The World's End must be there somewhere. We?
1: Yes, The World's End. You got one.
2: Oh, The Crown. It's The Crown there.
1: No, can you believe it? 50 episodes. Considering how much you've worked on that, yeah. I mean, no, look how
2: massive a... The Crown is at the moment. I know. And yeah, I would have thought that would probably be the top at the moment. So far,
1: but... you're one for three. And, and I'll just, you've gotten your four guesses. Or one and three. You know, you've got your four guesses. I'm going to tell you what it thinks you should be known for. Your two episodes when Jack Ryan goes to London in Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan. All right, okay. The Conjuring 2. Oh,
2: the Conjuring. Oh, yeah, The Conjuring was a good film, actually. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. And That's yeah. a fun
1: one. And The Nevers. Six episodes you did on The Nevers.
2: Right, okay. Well, did those surprise uh, you? Yeah. I Can't believe the Nevers, right? Okay,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's always a guessing game with that.
2: It's a mystery, some of these things. It really yeah, it is. is. I, it it
1: is. is one of the our very favorite movies around these parties, The World's End, though. The, the Edgar Wright work you did with Edgar Wright, and, and yeah, that was,
2: it was a good film. That one was it? it, came out well in the end.
1: Yeah, I think it did. Do you have uh, any? I mean, I'd been a I did
2: 71 as well. Have you seen? I would have thought 71 might be up there. Have you ever seen 71? No, it's a really good uh, film. Another film about the IRA, funny enough, about the Troubles, set in, in uh, the Troubles. It's, it, was, it was made on a pretty low budget, but it's actually a very good film. Uh, and there was a lot of special effects on it with burning cars and uh, all sorts of things happening. As uh, it tells the story of a young British soldier who gets caught uh, in a riot behind the lines in a riot, and he tries to escape. He's being chased by uh, members of the IRA uh and uh, it's about his story trying to get back to the lines and then seeing some pretty uh, uh, underhanded things that the british special services were doing over there as well it's a it's a really interesting film it's a good film
1: looks interesting yeah yeah i'll have to check that one out definitely get that on the watch list
2: It's definitely worth, a watch. It's definitely worth a watch definitely worth a watch
0: yeah definitely i think that you know kind of speaks to uh you know in our uh, having a kind of a conversation with you before we uh before we started you talked about some of your uh favorites that kind of inspired you in this world, things like uh Battle of Britain and
2: Yeah, and Battle of Wolf Blue and things like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Uh, obviously like these are, are films that it's all about war and so by nature of, of the film, it's just like in Battle of Britain, I mean, so much of that is flying around and all of the, the dogfights that they're having and just all of the different explosions, uh, you know, on the ground as, as planes are flying over.
2: Amazing model sequences in it as well, of course. Yeah. Visual effects didn't exist, so everything had to be done physically.
0: Uh, yeah, I was. I watched it last night. I wish I had a better copy uh to watch so it wasn't very clean so i couldn't really tell like in a lot of the flying sequences or like am i looking at models or are these i mean oftentimes you can tell when it's real planes but when some of the the specific explosions in the sky and stuff yeah the
2: crashing sequences and uh, crashing in the sea and things like that i mean it's actually quite difficult to tell i've played some of those clips uh, a dozen times and uh, eventually, I thought that's definitely a model, but it is some of it still stands a good test of time. Really. Oh
0: yeah, it really does. I mean, just solid work. When when you would watch stuff like that, like uh, I mean, I suppose there's kind of a, a, especially now having worked in the business for so long, but I suppose there's like a, you know two different ways you can look at it. Is like one like the way that the effects enhance the story and kind of do so much to kind of give the film exactly what they're trying to achieve and then from your perspective like what went into kind of coming up with that and and creating that and like looking behind the scenes to see all those different pieces do you find yourself still kind of like with those two mindsets as you're watching effects or have you been in the business so long that when you're watching effect sequences you're just like i, I can't get lost in the story anymore i just see the effects
2: <laughs> no, I think I still watch the story. Yeah. Uh, but then there is every, every now and then there's a clip that I suddenly I'll look at and go, it's clever. How did they do that? Uh, I mean, I, one that springs to mind in, in uh, Battle of Britain is, uh, of course, the Spitfire coming across the field on fire. Uh, and it, it comes across the field towards the camera, then blows up and then carries on on fire. And, uh, I, I, I mean, I've played that several times and I'm convinced that's a full-size mock-up of a, of a, a Spitfire or a Hurricane. And it's it's all because when you look at it on fire later, you can see it's been made out of bits of plywood and bits of ordinary the way a set like a set construction would have built it. Yeah. So in in the early stages before it actually explodes and catches light, you're you it looks like a real aircraft. So I do look at things and uh, and think, yes, how did they do that? Uh, and and not just old films. I mean, Fury, the film that's. was out recently it's a great film for the tank tank battle film the the explosions on the tanks are so terrific and and the all the frenzy of war the way it all cuts together i think that's what makes it so good on on that particular sequence with the tank battle is that the way the cutting together and the speed of the cutting and then of course the special effects enhance it all as well
0: yeah very much and i I think there's there's a lot of, I suppose, as as kind of a, a person working in visual effects, when you're working on that sort of project, trying to make the effects realistic in the scope of the story that you're telling, you know, World War II tanks, we want to make sure that everything feels realistic in this scope, maybe a little bigger than, you know, it, it's okay to be a little bigger in the scope of, you know, it's a movie, we're telling the story, want it to be exciting and everything still. But obviously, that's a lot different than when you get to be a little more fantastical and you're dealing with dragons or aliens or things like that, and and you get to kind of really change things up. Do you revel in kind of jumping into those sorts of stories because it does allow you to do something a little more outside the box? I suppose you could say.
2: I love it when it goes different. Really, I mean, we did a a thing for Sky a few years ago, which was Last Dragon Slayer and things like that. So that was that was quite a good. So there was like dragon flames bursts and all those sorts of things and and then about 4 years ago I did a thing called electric dreams which is uh, another H.E.T.V. type of thing it's a whole load of series it was a series of short stories because blade runner was actually a short story and it was uh, and and it was one of a group of about 25 short stories and electric dreams tied to start Telling this all those all that group of twenty five or so short stories, but I think we only got as far as um, telling the first six.
1: This was an this was an Amazon thing, right?
2: Uh, yeah, it may have been Amazon. I think it was a. I think when we did it, it was a sort of Sky. Okay, thing. yeah, be, all right. Oh no, it was Amazon. That was it. Yeah, that was a really exciting thing to work on because I think we had, we shot each episode with six weeks to shoot it. So you were shooting one episode and then lining up for the next episode, and of course there was a lot of really. Unusual things happening in it all the time because it was a very sort of supernatural, futuristic, sort of, crazy thing that was going on. Yeah, I I,
1: I remember that one. What an it had an incredible cast. And I don't I don't think they're doing any. I think you're right. I don't think they're doing anything more with it.
2: No, they didn't do it anymore, which was a real shame because I think that, like many times, it's such a pity when when you do. Series, you do a, uh, you do six episodes or something of what could possibly do twenty five episode series, and then they just finish it after the first six because they're not super duper popular. But that quite often happens with a lot of series. Really, things are not always massively popular in the first series, uh, and it, quite often it needs the second series to to really get it. Get
1: in. Right. For people to discover it. I mean, uh, look at look at Black Mirror, right? Like, uh, you know, they had Electric Dreams had such a fantastic Black Mirror vibe, which was already popular that it just felt like they, they gave up a, a bit too soon.
0: And just based on Philip K. Dick's shorts, like just the fact Obviously, that yes. you were, yeah, I mean, I, I loved watching those. I, I had so much fun with that series and it was such a disappointment when it didn't keep going because I'm like, there's so much more.
2: It was, it was, and it was really good fun to work on and it had some really nice cast and the crew, very talented art department who were joining out the different sets at short notice and that was a really interesting thing to, to do, interesting job.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, before we jump into our conversation about uh, Cinema Paradiso, I just want to gauge where we're as as we record this. We're toward the end of 2023. What films from this past year stand out to you as like the the films that uh, really kind of set a high mark in the world of visual effects? Do you have any particular favorites that you've seen this year?
2: Not not really, to be perfectly honest. I mean, the uh, I haven't seen Oppenheim, I've got to say, sorry. And I haven't seen Barbie, which are two of the biggest films this year. Uh, I don't know what special effects are on Oppenheimer. So far, and I haven't, because Napoleon has only just come out, I haven't had a chance to go and see it, but I will go and see that gotcha. soon. So I can't really judge that one. But I would guess that's probably got some really good special effects in it. I mean, there's certainly...
1: Especially the sorts of effects that would light you up.
2: <laughs> and it's filmed in the UK with a lot... Of, there's a lot of technicians here, special effects technicians, which are really good. I'm not so sure who the special effects supervisor is on it. I think it might be Neil Kolbold, in which case he'd be really good. So,
0: Yeah. I mean, Ridley Scott and battle scenes, put those two things together, inevitably yeah. you're going to have fantastic things to watch. So a lot of really great things to watch in that one.
2: I mean, I think like a lot of people now. I I spend a lot of time watching stuff on all the streaming channels.
0: Yeah, so yeah, right. Yeah, that's very true.
2: It's like, it's like most people do, really. So
0: there's a a glut of content. It's it's hard to it's hard to choose these days.
2: Yeah, which is a good thing, really.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Uh, I've been watching the latest series of The Crown, which I which I think is really good. That's come out really well.
1: What are the what what sort of work are they asking? Were they asking you to do on The Crown?
2: Well, the crown is, I mean, generally, we've got a couple of people on it all the time. So it's a bit of haze, a bit of rain here and there. And then we get the odd thing, which is different. Like uh, in the last series, there's a whole lot of tin cans where the two princes are shooting tin cans off of a wall. So we had to build a false wall top and with air rigs to blow tin cans in the air so that you can have artists at the same time delivering lines where there's aluminium tins flying around. without, And they're quickly resettable as well. So, I mean, that was just one gag in the last series. There's probably several others, but there's a lot of, it keeps us fairly busy, even though it's not obvious what the special effects are in it, really.
0: Yeah, I, I, and I see, like, there's a lot of that sort of, uh, w- when you look at the lineup of projects that you've worked on, there's a lot of that that probably, like, uh, Victorian Abdul, I'm like, oh, okay, well, it's probably, like, weather effects somewhere in there, things like that, you know, that yeah. that really kind of yeah. ties in, but, and other stuff, too, you know, but I just, like, there is a lot of, I think that's what's kind of so interesting about the world of visual effects, is, like, it's not just... Special. War of the it's Worlds special and things. Yeah. Or spe- yeah, there, yeah. There's not just like the big aliens or wars. It's, it's all of these little things.
2: Yeah. It covers everything from a bit of haze, rain, pre- uh, f- physical effects, uh, mechanical rigs, sometimes really unusual mechanical rigs to do all sorts of bits and pieces.
1: Yeah. Right, right. Well, we should talk about all the unusual mechanical rigs in Cinema Paradiso. Am I right? In another time and another place, there was an enchanted
3: village. Where the young and the young at heart shared their joys and dreams. Where a boy made mischief. And a young man found romance. And an old friend shared his magic with the town he loved. Every Saturday night they came to share the fantasy. They came for the thrills and the chills, the passion, the laughter, and all the kisses you never saw. Winner, special jury prize, Cannes Film Festival.
1: Count on the the visual effects supervisor to bring just something really bombastic to the show.
2: (laughs) Tell you the the flame sequence in it, where the um, Alfredo is yes (laughs) caught in the burning cinema, is not particularly well done. doesn't spoil the film the, the film is a brilliant brilliant film well
0: okay so let's let's start there what what is it that drew you to this particular film do you remember
2: uh, i remember about 20 25 years ago or so it was um reviewed late night on a, a one of the british um sort of cinema f- film sort of uh, review programs on bbc or something And I didn't see it being reviewed, but I just remember them saying it was a good film. And then about two or three years ago, I was flicking through Amazon, I think it was, and I suddenly saw it come up. So I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll play that film. And I played it, and I just was, I was just, it's an amazing film. It's very, it's it's one of those films that's difficult to actually say straight away what the story is, because there's so many different bits to the story going through the whole film. On the one hand, it's a story about a successful film director who is suddenly finds out late one night when he's in Lo- in uh, Rome that uh, an old friend of his from his village where he grew up has died and he then goes back to uh, he then goes back in his mind and imagines when he was a an 8 or 9 year old boy in the village in Sicily about his friendship and his love of the cinema with the local film projectionist a uh, guy called Alfredo and it's alfredo that you find out has died the story goes through Toto who is the the young boy and his story uh, uh, as he's growing up and his love of the cinema alfredo then has an accident in the projectionist booth because alfredo is the local cinema projectionist and he's t- he's blind and then toto takes over the cinema projectionist job and runs it and then it then leads into him having uh, the love story of him and a local girl and uh, it mixes in with the local village life and the all the scenery around the local village and all the characters in the village all going to the cinema and all the lo- all the films in the cinema it's got some brilliant images in it and a great story running through it as well
0: That's, that's, I think the thing that I find so kind of magical about it. I mean, it is really about this, this young kid and his, and finding this passion at such a young age for cinema and the joy of not just watching the movies, but really kind of like he's always been kind of, I mean, as a, you know, as a, as a kid interested in the behind the scenes, but in, in the world of the village, it's, that really means the projectionist and the booth and the idea of like, cutting scenes out when the the priest doesn't want certain scenes included and all of that sort of stuff
2: that of course uh, is a quite an important part of the story yeah uh, but you never really find that out until the end exactly right right uh, that the priest has the scenes cut out the kissing scenes cut out right. <laughs> uh, of the films because he doesn't think that the uh, that the villagers should be watching these films with kissing scenes in right them.
0: too pornographic <laughs> yeah
2: too pornographic yeah and then of course as the film goes on that's almost the final ending of the film is where you suddenly alfredo's widow gives toto the uh, an old film reel which he then plays and in it is all those kissing clips played over the, with the music of morricone's amazing music over it all which uh which is just like it's i mean it's probably one of the best film endings ever
0: and such a celebration of not just cinema but just like it's all clips of like passion and love. And so it's, it really becomes like this love for the passion really. And, and that's, I think what makes that, that final, uh, watching that final montage just so magical because it really kind of celebrates that.
2: And the other bit I liked about it as well is because during most of the early part of the film, because uh, apart from the very opening sequence, uh, Toto is a poor uh, a boy whose father was killed in the war and his mother's struggling to bring him up and it's about his uh him finding uh an escapism which was the cinema in, in the local village but then right at the end when that clip is played at the end you see toto going into the film production company in rome and handing the film to a projectionist asking him to play it and people coming up to him and going oh your new film is wonderful it's been uh, uh we've really put, everybody's pleased with your new film it wants we want to release it early and everything and he's Sort of semi dismissive because he wants to go and walks down the corridor to go and see the film being played uh, in the projection uh, in the uh, screening theater. So, and then you see that he's successful, and it's just like, wow, he's successful. He showed everybody. That's a so that's a wonderful thing as well. I mean, that it's a poor boy comes good. That's right, right. So there's so many aspects to the, to the stories in the film.
1: You know what I think I I found watching it last night that uh, that hit me for the first time in a long time is that it's not just about love of film. It's about love of mechanical film. And I think that dates the movie really positively for me that this the, the nostalgia trip is these guys love touching film right they love touching and cutting and that that to me is like that visceral satisfaction of watching them turn the knobs and open and shut the and and re, uh, re-spool the film and all of those things him sitting in front of the candle in his house like you know looking at each of the frames yeah, that were cut
2: oh there's some lovely bits of cinematography in it as well with just bits like where he's looking at the film in front of the candle he can't even afford Oil lamps, or anything. See, and, has a can- they have a candle. And
1: then, and then the 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 sequence. You, you know, uh, as they as they realize what a gift film is to the community uh, that they'd known all along, but they that they turn that return that gift by just adjusting the mirror and projecting the film onto the building yeah. across the square. It's it is just. Uh, it, and it,
2: all the local villagers all come cheering. out in the square to watch it being projected, and
1: and the, they uh, sit the way that yeah. the, the way that's shot, the way that everybody stands in a perfect square as if they're in a theater right they they all line up perfectly it's it is uh it, it, visually it's just in, incredibly touching
2: and then toto turns around to sit with a big grin on his face to alfredo to say uh, that's brilliant alfredo you know and because we've got to also mention how amazing the young toto is in the film i mean i can't remember hang on this is where you, oh, you need to uh
0: salvatore Ca- Salvatore, yeah, Salvatore Casio.
2: Yeah, yeah, he apparently he grew up. He was he lived very close to the actual village it was filmed in, and uh, he was given the part because he looked so good. But he's just so brilliant playing all the roles as a child actor. You'll never you never really think this is a child actor doing these bits. You, it's all so natural. His look round and all his looks, everything is. He, I think that's another reason that the film's so successful because he holds. Half of the film together so well, really, as the child toto, yeah really. right
0: right, it's like when he 's trying like to there's wink <laughs> <Like it's,
2: laughs> there 's three people that play that role, of course, because there 's the child there 's the uh, successful film director, and then there 's the sort of teenager
0: and and his story is largely the one with the love story where he meets the the beautiful girl and 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 that whole connection, and it it was a very interesting. I'd kind of forgotten that element of the story about how, I mean, he's a typical boy growing up. He has this draw to this beautiful new girl in town and all of this sort of stuff. But I had forgotten how much of uh, how important the element of what Alfredo already sees in Toto that Toto doesn't recognize in himself himself. But he is the driving force that says, don't stay in this town. You know, blonde girls are always trouble. Like all of these different things that he keeps kind of pushing with Toto because he kind of recognizes there's more to you. You have this drive. You need to get out of this town and pursue your passions. And I think that's such a key part of the story.
2: Don't be like me. Don't stay here in the cinema booth. Get out of this town. I don't want to see you anymore. And then, of course, towards the end of the film, you see him leaving the town on the train uh, and, the, and Alfredo's in the station and with uh, with Toto's mother and his sister waving goodbye uh, as the train pulls out. And then you've got the shot looking over, Toto leaning out the window as he's leaving everybody behind. That's, that's a great shot by itself. But, yeah, he's he's the, like the driving force. He was a sort of father replacement figure Truly. that pushed Toto into his success, really, which was is another lovely story by itself, really which version did you see the 155 minute version or the 173 minute version
0: for our purposes here i i ended up watching what i the blu-ray that i have which is actually about the two-hour version which i think was the initial international cut that we first got released here in 88 and i thought when i had it i was i was talking to pete about this before we recorded i thought i had bought it after they had released the extended like 3 hour director's cut and so i thought that that was the version i had so when i put it in i was a little surprised that I only had the 2 hour version but so i only watched the 2 hour but i have seen the full uh, the full 3 hour version yeah
1: well and i think this is i've only seen the the uh, 2 hour version i've never seen the director's cut and so for for me and this is this is what i'm i'm most curious about for you too is i totally appreciate you know getting toto out of town and i appreciate all of that but the relationship of toto and elena their their relationship feels unfinished narratively like I, it just feels like an abandoned thread and yeah. i i don't think they should have ended up together i don't think any of that but i feel like it's just like oh woof dropped in the wind in the movie and i'm i i recognize that something in the director's cut resolves some of those some of those threads that i, yeah. I feel unrequited and i'm curious how that hits you like what is the complete movie for you
2: well that's actually if you watch the a 155-minute version, the two-hour version, and you can be bothered to watch the whole of the credits. <laughs> Funny enough, right at the end of the whole of the credits, because the, the credits play with little tiny four- or five-second clips of the film through them. But the last two clips, uh, one of those is a young, very young uh, Elena looking around like that. And then it's a cl- another a cut of Toto in a cafe. The next clip is a cut of Toto in a cafe, Doing a double take round like that, as if like he's just seen something so that <laughs> uh so that like actually hints to what the nineteen 19- hundred and seventy three minute version is like that it's <clears throat> it's obviously he dis- he sees a young girl in town which looks like young elena uh, he follows her in his car, goes to her house, sees her then come out with a with her father figure. Which he recognises as a friend of his from Scott, from his college days, and so he he then phone he then finds a the telephone number, phones up the telephone number of the house, gets through and speaks to the uh, Elena herself on the phone and says Look, Hi, it's Toto here, like and they meet up that evening and she sort of basically says that I uh, I have a life here now I I can't sort of abandon it and everything but I did always love you and it was Alfredo that told me to leave. And if I loved you, not to contact you again, because you have a you have a destiny more than any of us.
0: Huh. And and I also recall like the the bit where she did say, and I did leave my, but I, I couldn't help but not leave my address for you, and I left it written on a piece of paper at the uh, at the theater, which uh, you know, I guess uh, you never saw. And then he goes back and he does actually find it in that mess of a projection booth. It's it's a really, I mean it it is a beautiful end to kind of the the love story we kind of get a we do get a sense of closure there and i do really like that version but after rewatching this one i i find that the way that she just doesn't end up showing up in that in that last part ends up working quite well for him for his story to almost like he learns a lesson like I, I do need to just listen to kind of Alfredo and move on with my life and not be stuck on something like this. And, and so I, I still think that it works really well uh, in the version that exists or the shorter version.
2: Oh, I think 150. I mean, I, I just can't. I'm not sure which version I prefer. Actually, I think in some ways I do prefer the two hour version, because if you play it right the way through to the end of the credits, the double take could sort of could 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 lead on to anything really it could lead on to he's seen something that he's really likes or he's or he's seen elena elena again and that's that maybe something is going to happen between them whereas in some ways the the, the longer version the three hour version is i find it a bit sad really that he never really that he doesn't really get together with her you sort of wanting to really, don't you
1: really? Yeah, maybe that's that, that makes it worse, right? That's <laughs> that's like yeah. you know, punctuation yeah. on the reason why they chose to cut that that entire sequence. Yeah. Um yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I gotta ask, you said as we just started this conversation, you said the the fire sequence, this is our effect sequence, right? Was not particularly <laughs> good. I, I need to have you weigh in. Okay why it. why is it not good? What are you looking at?
2: I think it it just needed more proper flames coming out of the building, whereas it's done with just smoke, and they tried to do it with some rather crude lights at the back flickering, which was very poor. It let, let it down badly. Funny enough, the internal fire sequence, where Toto is trying to rescue Alfredo and is shooting through flames and smoke, that's actually not bad. All that works quite well. But the wider sequences in the village square with the flames Flickering or the supposed burning of the flames in the wide shot of the theater, of the, of the cinema theater, it just looks terrible. They let, let themselves down badly there, really. Sure, yeah. So,
0: Toward the end of the film, as uh, he's come back, they actually demolish the theater. Yeah. In a scene like this, obviously, you can just hire some a demolition team to kind of knock a building down. But I mean, I, I'm assuming that the the, the, uh, vi- the special effects team is still involved in in part kind of keeping it safe and everything, right?
2: I think that may have been a large model actually. I've played it a couple of times and need to play it again, but when I last played it, I sort of came to the conclusion it might be a large model that was used. Gotcha. Really, so they actually, I, I didn't get the impression that they demolished the, an actual building okay. in the town square. Gotcha. There's a lot of like foreground sort of explosions coming up to start the thing going, which looked a little bit silly, uh, but then the, when the that dust cloud uh, sort of develops it sort of you then see the building behind suddenly fall oh, right
0: <laughs> yeah, in yeah. A
2: separate shop, which is where i think it then cuts to a model shot yeah really. right right, right. So the model shot's very good but the initial sort of starting of the explosions not particularly good i, I mean it probably would have been to do it properly it would have meant building a full skies uh theater fr- sort of frontage on a on a lot somewhere with matching the surrounding buildings and Demolishing that or blowing that up for real—I mean, cutting out the bottom section and letting it drop on itself. So, which which I get probably wasn't possible in the in the actual square they filmed in, because they filmed in a an original medieval square in an Italian village in Sicily, which is the actual village where the uh, director grew up as well.
0: Right. Yeah, uh, I r- I remember reading about that. That he like it was his hometown that that they did all yeah. this in, which I thought was kind cool.
2: The story as well. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. He. Uh- Torna is an interesting director. I've only seen, uh, I have not seen a lot of his films. I think I've only seen this one and then The Star Maker, which, which came out a few years later, but uh, he has not been a filmmaker. I've seen a lot of of his works. I miss like The Legend of 1900 and Milena. I've heard some pretty good things about those. Uh, have you seen many of his other films?
2: No, I haven't seen any of his other work. I mean, I think this. this sometimes it's like when you have a, a director who really uh, believes in something close to their heart. I mean, it's probably based slightly on, on when he was younger himself in that. In that it term. has
0: that feeling uh, for sure, yeah.
2: Cinema and his love of it all. And uh, sometimes you get the best stories when they're written from the heart, don't you, really? And, uh, close to home.
0: Watching this again, I couldn't help but find a, a kind of a parallel with the Fablemans just in the sense of a young kid yes. drawn to cinema and the idea of, you know, what was up on that big screen and what you could do with it and everything. And I, I thought that was kind of a an interesting little comparison of like this young kid who grows up to kind of become a filmmaker and i that i maybe that's why it feels a little biographical i again i'm not exactly sure how much biographical details from tornatori's own life are in here there, but
2: there's some great images though isn't there that the the projector projects out doesn't just project out of a hole in the wall it projects out of through a giant great lion mask yeah, roaring mask, <laughs> which is interesting Concept by itself, really, it's like this. This great statement on the wall, and the, here comes the film. It's coming out for you. The lion is sort of spitting it out across the screen.
0: I always wish that more movie theaters would do that and incorporate something really interesting, like a lion's roaring mouth over over where their projection, uh, where they're projecting from. Some sort of gargoyle. Yeah. Right. Right.
2: And then, because the whole village comes together in the thin in the cinema to watch these films. You've got the, the rich people above in the gallery, and then the poor people below, and all the young kids, and the whole village is playing out there, really sold. And we get to
0: watch it out, play out over time. I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, as the war is progressing. And so you're seeing some interesting elements of, you know, soldiers off at war, you have one family who's kind of looked down upon because the, you know, as they say, oh, he's the communist or whatever. You have a love story that develops over between a couple people in the theater. Uh, I like that in the back, different, during different periods, there's actually a prostitute who works in a back room back there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's yeah. it's like a yeah. wide variety of characters that we meet through uh through just watching them and that's yeah. this is one of those stories that gives you a real sense of the community over time with like we're just getting to know these people and we spend time with them and really are drawn to their love of the stories that are that they're watching up on the big, big screen whether it's romantic or whether they're all crying yeah. or the big actions Absolutely, yeah yeah and, and, or, or, or always fun when they're all like booing or something like there's plenty yeah, of those yeah. too And,
2: and look, when the cinema burns down uh, uh it just so happens that one of the local guys in the village has won the yeah, lottery right, right So he decides to spend his money on rebuilding the cinema so he then becomes the sort of the big cinema boss
1: and it's a beautiful cinema right? yeah <laughs> he
2: does great yeah. Before he was just a, an ordinary person in the village and now now he's important he's He runs the cinema where everybody comes to.
0: Especially because he's the one who got to make the choice. We're not, we're going to not cut the kisses out anymore. And just like the (laughs) reaction when the people are like, oh my God, I can't believe what I'm seeing. I'm finally seeing a
2: kiss. Kiss on the screen and everybody is like, "All the boys are kissing
0: in their mouths.
1: Right. And that old lady is like, oh my God. Yeah. No, it was, it's very fun to watch. Well, and Uh, and what a, what a wonderful, again, the nostalgia trip about the mechanics of film production. Film presentation when they have they have to exchange reels back and forth by bike (laughs) as the movies are playing between two theaters. I
2: must say I do I do miss sort of not having film cameras on jobs any longer. I I even though I obviously I didn't work in the camera team, I I I I used to love seeing the the reels being changed and then reloading the magazines in the bags and it was that whole process of it all really a bit. It, the clapperboard, they still, obviously, we still use the clapperboards, but and then it just had more of a real meaning then each each take because the film was rolling through. It was so deliberate. You cut the cameras up, shoot something, and then at the end of the day, they take the, the memory cards out and download them in a van somewhere, and somebody sits there for three hours while they download everything, <laughs> so it's not quite the same, really, any longer.
1: Not really. Yeah, it feels like the stakes were higher.
2: Yeah, backing up the negatives and sending yeah. them the runner into into the film uh, uh processing uh, labs
0: we also get the kind of the evolving history of uh of film which you know some people may not know too much about but the idea that in the early days of film it was like a silver nitrate and it was very flammable it was incredibly flammable and you had to be super careful and and we kind of get that evolution Shown in the film because there's that part where he's holding up a strip of film with a flame under it, trying to show yeah. to show uh, Alfredo, look, yeah,
2: they yeah. It, and people couldn't believe it. It wasn't flammable anymore, yeah. yeah, yeah, and because because Alfredo is sort of wishing that that had been around when he had his accident,
0: exactly, so. yeah, yeah, because
2: it's ironic that really uh, the, the the village projectionist becomes blind and uh, and can't see anything that he's projecting anymore. In fact, in the, the t- three-hour version, uh, when uh, Elena goes up to see Alfredo in the booth, Alfredo's sitting there at the projector with the film playing and just going through, and she's talking to him, and he, that's when he's telling her, uh, leave, leave Toto by himself. Uh, he, has another, he has destiny, and Alfredo can't even see the film. He's just sitting there listening to the film run through the projector. Uh, which is a sad image
0: really it, it is but I, I liked the way that they it's almost like this hint of like this magical realism that they play with him at some points like when he's sitting there and this is after he's already blind but he's just like uh the film's out of focus and and yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, of course it was it's like okay and toto's like how did you know what's going on
2: Yeah,
0: very fun beautiful
1: yeah love letter
0: it it really is a love letter too, uh to film And I think that's one of the things that um, I, I think has just connected people to it for such a long time. And it's not just a film, it's just about like his message at the end, like, make sure whatever you end up doing that you love it. And I think that is such a great message, And again, not just for people who are working in the film industry, but whatever it is you're doing. Like, find that passion in your life and just and stick with it. You know, you're never going to be bored. You'll always be happy.
2: And always be fulfilled as well. And fulfillment doesn't always come with money, although it is quite useful to have it sometimes.
0: <laughs> a useful Can't tool. can help.
2: I'm not going to turn it down. <laughs> I actually, I mean, I go and do a few talks in schools here and there. Well I mean, if I manage to find the time, and that's some of the things I say uh when people are asking me about the business, what I love about the business, and it's just like that fulfillment of actually making something i uh, I feel I'm making something that certainly with with some of the stuff I've done, uh, hopefully will be seen in a hundred years' time still people will still be looking back at it really if you look at a lot of films, I mean some of them films like Ben Hur, which is I'm not sure how old that is now. It must be coming up for was, 75 years. Yeah, 50, it's 59. I mean, it's, so it's still a, a, a good watch. Yeah. I mean, it's still.
0: Yeah. And again, just how big, especially like those Cecil B. DeMille films, just the so
1: big. Mm. I mean, it's just really impressive. So Andy, uh, we love this movie. How did it do it? Award season. Did everybody else love it as much as we did?
0: It was a much beloved film, 25 wins with 32 other nominations. And you have to remember at the time, like this was the short version of the movie. So people loved it just as much as they ended up loving the uh, longer versions later. At the Oscars, this film won Best Foreign Language Film. At the David Di Donatello Awards, which is uh, Italy's, essentially their Oscars, Tornatori was nominated for Best Director, but lost to Armano Olmi for The Legend of the Holy Drinker, which sounds like a great film. I need to see that one. It was nominated for Best Film, but also lost to The Legend of the Holy Drinker. Ennio Morricone's score won Best Music. Uh, it was nominated for Best Producer, but lost to Filiberto Bandini for *Caro uh, Gorbachev. And uh, Pupella Maggio was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, but lost to Athena Cenci in Compagni di Scola.
1: Well, all right. Uh, I, I, those are some sad losses at the, the Donatello Awards. Well, it just makes me, I really need to find The Legend of the Holy Drinker now. <laughs> the Legend of the Holy Drinker. I, I feel like that's the one that's going to, that's like the 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 uh, key that's going to unlock a lot of things for us in movies. Exactly. Uh, is that we have to see that movie. Um, how to do it at the box office to make any money, this little tiny baby film?
0: Well, Tornatori had a relatively small budget for this lengthy film. I'm not sure what it was in Italian currency at the time, but it translates to $5 million or $12.85 million in today's dollars. The movie opened November seventeenth, 1988, in Italy, and actually was received poorly at the box office, so Tornatori cut the film down to just over two hours for the international release, which was received well. As we just said, the film won the Special Jury Prize at Cannes in 1989 before opening limited February 2nd, 1990 here in the States. It maxed out at 124 screens its 13th week and did relatively well its theatrical run, going on to earn $12.4 million domestically and $3.4 million internationally for a total gross of $40.5 million in today's dollars. That includes its director's cut re-release, uh, it seems uh, But it just goes to show that the draw it does have a draw for audiences With such a long-running time, though, the film lands with an adjusted profit per finished minute of just $160,000 Still a success overall
1: I just found on, on Giuseppe Tornatore's page, he directed a documentary on Ennio Morricone, and I can't find any place to watch it. It feels like a thing that I need to have in my life.
2: It took me ages to find the three-hour version of the film. It's not very easy to find some of this stuff, really.
0: Hard, hard to track down, some of these. Yeah, 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 frustrating.
2: It's like a treasure hunt by itself.
0: <laughs> yeah, right.
2: <laughs> I found it. Yes. Right,
0: exactly. It's it. He did. Uh, he did. End up Tornatore did work with Marconi until Marconi passed away. But uh, just any Marconi. I mean, we've already talked the about how great his music is, but just stunning. And then this was the, perhaps the only one that I've noted where his son actually comes in and and does one of the themes. Which I was like, oh, that's actually kind of interesting. And I haven't followed his son to see if he kind of continued in the composing world, but it's. I mean, the music here is just it's just top-notch
2: if you took the film by itself it's a terrific film anyway and then with one of the best film scores ever overlaid over the whole top of it is like it's like yeah that's why i think it makes it such a special film really
0: truly 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 well chris i mean this has been such a fantastic conversation uh about your career and everything and uh, this fantastic film yeah thank you so much do you have a, a place online where we should direct people to go check out and see what you're up to? I mean, I know they can look at your website to kind of check out your reel and everything.
2: Sometimes I'm a bit wary because otherwise I just get so much post. It would, I used to advertise a lot and I've actually, my show, my, uh, my uh, 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 website is actually quite out of date now because I haven't bothered updating it to be perfectly honest because I don't need to, because I get the work anyway. And all I found was that I just get so much post. I just can't cope with it all. I mean, I'm busy enough with the job without answering people's questions all the time. Because I, uh, one of the things that I'm probably in the UK that I was most famous for for a while was a thing called Robot Wars. I don't know if you've ever seen.
0: I, I've heard of it. You've heard of
2: uh, it? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, it started in the US, and then it was a uh, the format was taken to the UK by a, a, a producer, and it was basically these little. I think you guys know it as battle bots.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's,
2: and yeah. Uh, in the UK, it became a thing called Robot Wars, and they had they had their own house robots in Robot Wars. So in the UK version, so they all had their own personalities, and and there were like five or six of them. I, and they I designed them, and I had a team that built them, and they literally became personalities, and, and they were famous by themselves. <laughs> they were. People, it was like people. They were on T-shirts, on bedspreads, on socks, boys' socks and slippers and shoes. They were on cornflake cool packets. They were on everything, and I would be interviewed like on 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 daytime TV, and uh, and uh, get recognised in supermarkets and things, and uh, so I, I had a, about two years of mini fame. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, so uh, when that died, that's obviously all past now because it's now uh, coming up to twenty years since the last uh, bit of. It's made. Uh,
1: I remember now. I I I have it, and it was this cause this was Clarkson uh was a presenter on this show,
2: right? Clarkson was the very first presenter, of the very first series. Yep. Uh but it became super famous in the second series onwards. Yeah. And the the robots like especially Killer Lot, it literally became a it became a household name. That is so funny. I'd go into pubs and be sitting in pubs with friends and I'd hear people sitting on tables next door discussing what but what robots they were gonna build and <laughs> and, and oh, you know, I'd get those house robots and I'd be sitting there thinking God, it's—I mean—it was an amazing thing because what I liked about it most of all was it actually encouraged young people to be interested in engineering. Sure, it made engineering cool. Is what it did, which has always been one of my big sort of bugbears and trying to encourage people to to of all sexes to get involved in that type of thing. And it did. It did a really good job for the seven, six series it's ran for
0: fantastic so, well obviously there's still some some thread of that because i mean there're still like robotics clubs and all that sort of thing in in schools yeah. and so i think that there's still a a yeah.
2: battlebots in the states i understand is doing really well but they don't have uh, they don't have their own house robots anymore the reason we had them in the first series was because uh, most of the contestants robots were absolutely useless <laughs> and we'd have had no show. There was no competition. We'd have, we'd have had no show at all if we hadn't have had the house robot. <laughs> These house robots could move around. <laughs> I mean, some of the contestants' robots were so bad that we had to pull them on fishing line to make them look as if they were doing something. <laughs> oh, my but God. No. Pull across, and the other robot would go slamming into them. And at least you then at once, at Then you can have a bit of a... Like with one robot pushing the other one around, you'd feel that something was actually happening. Yeah, right. Oh, so it was dreadful in the first series. The Clarkson series was, a, was dreadful. It wasn't Clarkson's fault. It was just that people just went up to building 100 kilo robots sure. that could drive around and slam axes into, the, into <laughs> on somebody else. So. Well,
1: he needed to be busy blowing up cars. So it, that was. <laughs> he, he had other things going on. So, so funny. Yeah, so funny. Yeah,
2: we progressed from there. Really, oh yeah. gosh. It's almost like the world now, but funny yeah.
0: yeah, right. Well, I mean, Chris, thank you again so much for joining us here. We really, really appreciate it. No,
2: no, good, good to see you. And uh, yeah, it's a real treat. Yeah, stay in touch.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And for everyone else out there, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we hope you liked the show, and certainly hope you like the movie like we do here on Movies We Like. Movies We Like is a part of the True Story FM Entertainment Podcast Network. The music is chonk-clap by Out of Flux. Find the show at truestory.fm and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, threads, and Letterboxd at The Next Reel. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, we certainly appreciate it if you could drop one in there for us. See you next time.
1: Andy, according to my friend, Internet, this is what Letterboxd is. Letterboxd is a global social network for grassroots film discussion and discovery. Use it as a diary to record and share your opinion about films as you watch them, or just keep track of films you've seen in the past. Showcase your favorites on your profile page. That is a lot. You bet it is. That's why I want you... To tell our fair listeners just one thing you do with Letterboxd that has changed the way you watch movies. Let them have it.
0: Okay, are you ready for this? So ready. I love lists. As of today, I have 246 lists in my account. I use them to track the movies I watch, organize them in all sorts of different ways. I track them by hand. I clone lists from other people. I use them to plan what I'm going to be watching. All sorts of things. I just, I love creating lists. It's a fantastic tool.
1: Lexiest animated characters. Andy, what is this?
0: We love Letterboxd. And if you're a movie lover... We are sure you will, too. And when you upgrade from the free account, you will remove ads and support the great Kiwi team building this amazing service.
1: Just use the discount code NEXTREEL or visit thenextreel.com slash letterbox to get 20% off your pro or patron membership. And it works for renewals as well. You know what I got the other day, Pete? Stephen King's latest. Want to borrow it? Do you know who you're talking to? What do you mean? Andy, when's the last time I read a paper book? It's been decades. I would much rather use Kindle, or better yet, Audible.
0: What am I thinking? I don't read paper books anymore either. I'm an audiobook guy all the way. For those looking to listen to the books behind the films that we've talked about here on Movies We Like, not to mention all the other podcasts in the Next Real Family... Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at thenextreel.com slash audible.
1: There are so many great adaptations from movies we like available in audio form.
0: Early on, we covered Casino Royale with director Matthew Gratzner. You went through all of the
1: 007 books on Audible, right? I did indeed. What a series. We also covered Room with legendary Dee Wallace and Never Let Me Go with costume designer Alana Mooreshead We chatted
0: about Fat City with cinematographer Sam Levy and Silver Linings Playbook with the great composer Harry
1: Gregson-Williams. 101 Dalmatians and Bambi. Apocalypse Now, There Will Be Blood, The Thin Red Line. There's so many great adaptations with so many great guests, and you can get all these as audiobooks on Audible, along with thousands of other great reads. Producing this podcast is a lot of fun, but
0: it does take a lot of time. We have already dropped the dynamically inserted ads because they are so annoying and have no connection to our content.
1: Plus, they just jam those things in wherever they see fit. We listened when you said you didn't like them. So now, we're
0: directly appealing to you, our dear listener. Please, consider an Audible subscription to help support movies we
1: like and The Next Reel's family of podcasts. I've been using Audible, along with my family, for decades now. I love it, and I've read hundreds of books through it. Couldn't be more pleased with their service, and I know you'll love it, too. Head to the slash audible and get your free trial. It really helps us out. And you have a world of over 200,000 audiobooks open to you. So much great material available.
0: Dive in with a free trial and get your first free audiobook at the slash audible.
1: Start listening to amazing audiobooks of your favorite movie source material with your first free audiobook today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible.